Welcome to Spirited Word. By God's Word proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works faith in God's grace in Jesus, when and where He pleases. Sermons by Pastor Adrian Kitson, Lutheran Church of Australia. Our first reading is from Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 60. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, the grace and the truth and the uh, encouragement and the challenge and the presence mainly and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as we spend a moment in his word. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the privilege of gathering here together in your presence. We thank you for life itself with all of its ups and downs. And we pray that you would encourage us today in this word by the power of your Holy Spirit who is always present and active when your word is proclaimed. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So friends, I had to uh, delve further into this business with Stephen today. Even though that John text from John 14 about the many rooms my father has prepared is a magnificent text, do not be afraid, uh, and all of that. And uh, if I had a dollar for every funeral that has had that text as the, the gospel text for today, well... I'd be a wealthy man for sure. It's a beautiful text. But Stephen arose. Stephen arose on the scene. And it's interesting. We've been celebrating you know, 50 days of Easter, the resurrection, the centre of the Christian faith, the, the day of days, the moment when the world changed, when a new creation came to be among this old one by the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And I guess we've been celebrating that and enjoying that. We've also been trying to enjoy, even though it's been a difficult vintage and so forth, we've been trying to enjoy vintage, vintage festival, and even our Thanksgiving services and all of that, so it's been good. And now, though, without warning in a way, this, this, um, this episode, we're confronted with this rather violent, uh, unjust episode of the... Uh, execution of Stephen, first person killed specifically because of faith in Christ, a martyr, a witness, first one. 
So uh, it seems apparent in the city of Jerusalem, the same anti-Jesus and anti-Jesus people, uh, people are definitely still in charge and at work and not receiving what has happened at all. How did it get to be like this so soon after the resurrection of Jesus and all the wonderful Pentecost Day and the Ascension and all of that? How did it get to go back to this? Well, uh, the first gospel community, the first church in that city of Jerusalem was made up of largely two groups of people, as we hear. Uh, There's the Greek-speaking people, the Hellenists, and the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking people, the Jewish people. And Luke tells us just before this episode um, that there a dispute arose. Churches aren't, you know, uh, strangers to disputes. Neither is the Lutheran Church of Australia in many things, so we're just like them. A dispute arose in the church. And in that immediate, amazing generosity that broke out in this first church, this fledgling community, They quickly, so quickly, developed a system of allocating food and other things to the more vulnerable people in the community. It's just what the gospel does. Uh, A fair percentage of the vulnerable people were women who had lost their husbands, widows. No Centrelink, no rights, uh, very few options. Therefore, they often had to live on almost nothing. Vulnerable people. So the dispute seems to be centred around some are getting more than others. Some sort of favouritism playing itself out in this daily distribution of things. So the Greek-speaking people, the Hellenists, complain to the Jewish-speaking people about the Jewish, the Greek-speaking Hellenist widows being overlooked in this daily distribution of food and so forth. Anyway, wisely, the Twelve, who are now called the Twelve, quickly take action, good work, and they settle this dispute. They appoint overseers of this particular ministry, this welfare ministry, we would call it maybe, and to make sure the whole thing is done fairly and without any favouritism. And one of the seven people appointed is Stephen. Now Luke tells us that all seven who were appointed were full of both the spirit and wisdom. In verse 3. But Stephen seems to be even then recognised in the community as being, shall we say, special, gifted, able, something like that. He's the first one named in the group of seven, which is always important in the scriptures, who gets the first name. And he's the only one to receive specific words of praise about his, who he is and how he is, full of faith and the Holy Spirit full of grace and power, doing signs and wonders among the people. Okay, this guy is pretty gifted. For some reason, God has gifted this person in this particular time. So just like John the Baptist and Jesus before him, and like Paul who would come after him, Stephen was incredibly annoying to those who held all the power in the synagogue and in the temple and in the city. Because as he boldly proclaimed the faith from the scriptures and argued it flawlessly from the Old Testament, he did so in such a way that they found it impossible to refute him, to disagree with him. 
In other words, he nailed them every time and they got really sick of it. He was always right. You couldn't argue against the man. He was sharp as a tack. Anyway, this is, remember Jesus said this is how it would be. Luke 21, 15. I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Well, Stephen, he has it. Well, you can imagine, if you're that annoying and that right, uh, it doesn't take long before Stephen finds himself dragged into the ruling council. Yes, the same Sanhedrin that brought you the crucifixion of Jesus now brings you the stoning of Stephen. And when given the opportunity, he only gets one chance to speak. Let's just say that Stephen is no shrinking violet. He lets them have it. Full blast. And it's long, much longer than my sermon. You'll be pleased to know. He's, uh, he speaks a long, it's not a Twitter-length kind of response like those Jesus gave before the Sanhedrin. No, no, this is a full course. This is the full degustation menu, seven courses. Um, and it's even longer than Peter's first ever sermon on the day of Pentecost. So he lets them have it. He's right into it. And basically what he does, you should read it in Acts chapter 6, he pretty much plots the whole course of Israel, all the great moments, right from you know creation and Genesis and the patriarchs and Moses and Egypt and the Red Sea and the desert and the prophets and all that. Plots it out in order. And basically says, in the end, you people still don't get it. You are a stiff-necked, resistant people and nothing has changed. That's what he basically says. You are resistant to the work of God, the grace of God at work in your life. The Messiah has just come. And this is how you've always been and this is how you are now. Wow. So I'm picturing this as he's speaking, this long list of things. I can just picture it. It's like, you know, when the umpire makes four or five wrong calls in succession in the last quarter of the game, it's on the, it's on the line, and the, all those calls essentially give the other team the win, you know? And all the way through the last quarter, the anger's just building in the crowd. You know, it's like that. Everybody's, you know, getting tense and... Yelling and doing the stuff you do at umpires, well, you shouldn't do, but some do. And uh, it's like that the tension just builds and builds and builds. So, Father Abraham received the promise of God to make a great nation a blessing out of his children and grandchildren, but never saw it fulfilled, just like you haven't seen the promise fulfilled right before your eyes in Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Joseph carried the promise to Egypt, but only got hostility and betrayal, just like you treated Jesus. Moses, well, don't mention Moses, the great prophet, the great priest, the great king, all in one, who talked with the Lord face to face, only got resistance from his people, just like he is now. And the prophets, which one didn't you kill? Which one didn't you resist? Which one didn't you, you know, rise up against? All they ever got from their, his, their own people was resistance. And even the ones who announced the promised saviour, e.g. John the Baptist, all he got was the same stiff-necked resistance to the work of God. 
And then right at the end, 52 verses later, right at the end, he really, baby, can you imagine it? And now you, Sanhedrin, most powerful people in the Jewish community, you've betrayed him and you've murdered him. (gasps) Can you feel the anger burn among that group of people? Here's what they did. Covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. You know, you know how they go, la, 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 la. Not like that, I think a bit more, you know, ah, like that. And like a, like a protest mob, you know, storming the White House or whatever it was, and, um, or whatever, some sort of out-of-rule mob, things get way out of hand. And they, it says they all rushed at him. There's 50 people on the Sanhedrin. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, which is not like a, from here to the back, it's like, you know, hundreds of metres, bit of an effort to get a guy out the city, <laughs> dragged him out of the city, out of the walls, outside the, the, the old walls, uh, and began to stone him. So it kind of feels to us, when I hear it, like a mob, like that January 6th mob in the White House or some other uh, protest rally going bad. Or, you know. But I think, Luke, uh, there's more to it than that. There's some um, structure there's some rules, there's, some, there's something else going on here as well because he says, meanwhile, the witnesses, okay, so there are witnesses, laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Besides the first mention of Saul, who would become Paul, the greatest missionary to the Roman Jewish world, besides that, it does seem to suggest there's Jewish rule, Jewish law at work in this execution. So I read this. I don't know. Apparently, the first witness pushed the accused person off the appointed place of execution, which was about a three and a half metre drop. How high is that? Up there somewhere. And if that didn't kill the person, the accused person, the second witness would get a big rock and go... (laughs) on the person's chest, crushing the chest, apparently. So Luke is letting us know that there's things at work here and he really echoes Jesus, really, and the passion of Jesus here too. And I'm going to say why in a minute. So check this. Just like there was for Jesus, there's a secret plot to arrest him, to arrest Stephen, just like there was for Jesus. It's the religious elite, not the Romans. It's the religious Jewish religious elite who sees him, same word. Stephen is brought to the council, the same council, the Sanhedrin. The people are stirred up against him like they were. Crucify him, crucify him. And the charge is the same. Blasphemy, pretending to be God. Blasphemy and destroyer of the Old Testament traditions and laws. So this is Jesus part two, passion part two, in the church. We should expect it. But Stephen is like Jesus in one more way. You would have picked it up in that reading. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What did Jesus say? Remember the words he said? Yes, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
And then, just like Jesus, he entrusted his spirit, this time to the risen Saviour, whereas Jesus entrusted his spirit to the Father. See how it's all very tightly told? Uh, so is it just a sad story of a tragic and unjust loss of one more poor Christian? Not on your life. Luke is showing by the way he tells us that even this wrong, unjust treatment and this very stubborn, stiff-necked human heart and this greed and need for power and the way we are so set in our way, our human way, cannot and will not be stopped or will not stop the risen Jesus accomplishing his work, his mission, among us and through us. And if not us, then someone else. He will find a way. Why am I saying that? Remember Jesus telling the twelve, at that stage eleven, uh, as he ascended, which we'll hear about in a couple of weeks' time, that they were to go and do what? Baptise and teach everything, baptise in my name, and teach everything you've seen and everything you've heard. Tell it, teach it, speak it, baptise people into God's name. And where? Beginning in Jerusalem, then to Judea, the whole region, then even to Samaria, which must have shocked them, and then to the ends of the earth. Remember that? Well, the book of Acts is Luke telling you and me how the Spirit achieved that. Because where did the gospel end up? How did it get from a tiny provincial place that no Roman in his right mind would ever want to go? Because it's so far on the edge of the empire and no one cares about it? You know? To the centre of the world. Rome. So that it can go everywhere. Well, this is how it began. It wouldn't, it's not done by means that you and I would choose unjust execution, persecution. But from this day, a persecution, and there would be many more to follow, broke out against the Christians in the city of Jerusalem. And the book of Acts tells you where they went. You, know, you get Philip down in Gaza Strip, a couple hundred k's to the southeast with the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, and you get Paul, then you get Paul going around the Mediterranean world three times. So this is how the gospel was spread to the known world, to the ends of the earth. This is how God chose to make it happen. So that's why I'm saying that this is no random sad story about a mob who got out of control. This is the Spirit of God at work with his people, among his people, for his purposes, which cannot and will not be stopped in his time. So I'm quite inspired, friends, I have to say. In our difficult times, we're not under persecution and we haven't got any big rocks outside ready to get you when you leave the building this morning. We don't do that. But we're under pressure and things have changed, no doubt about that. But here's the main thing for me. I've got three reasons I'm inspired this morning. Number one, the Holy Spirit can overcome my stiff-necked, stubborn heart and does. Thank God. 
He overcomes my stiff-necked resistance to him, you know, all the time. He can unstop my unlistening ears and he can shut my shouting mouth and get me where he needs me to be and wants me to be. Same for you. He did it for Stephen. He did it for Saul, who would become Paul. He did it for Luke, the one writing this account. He did it for the twelve. He did it for you. Number two, the gospel will live and does. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, despite the ups and downs, the many failures of the church, no doubt about it, the change, enormous change in culture over time, which we're experiencing, the massive shifts in belief that happen, you know, from left to right to right to left and anywhere in between, the anger of those who oppose the gospel or even threaten it, the risen Lord still calls you, still calls me, still gathers us together, even though we're blind and shouting and unlistening and angry, he can still call us and gather us and light us up. And number three, God's promise always wins. Always. Even in such hard things like persecution and being stoned to death, God's promises still win. As a result of this first persecution, and many more would come and get worse, under a couple of particular Roman Caesars, it was absolutely horrible. We're still here. And the gospel's still being proclaimed by you and by me in our time. And this little church in the city was scattered all over the place. And the book of Acts tells us how the gospel took root in the world. Amazing. So, good news today, encouraging for you. I'm hearing some things that might inspire you today. Whoever is against you, the Holy Spirit is working. Whatever is threatening you, the Holy Spirit is working. No matter how much you don't understand, or sometimes more truthfully, you don't want to know, the Holy Spirit is working. In all the angry and hurtful words and actions that you can say and do, you have said and done and still do, the Holy Spirit is working for the vision that you just can't quite seem to grasp for your life and for your job and for your retirement or for your church or your community or yourself as a person. The Spirit is working for the great effort that you put in and sometimes the heartache that you carry for your family and for yourself and for your friends. The Spirit is working. For the great worry you have for this dear old Elsie, the LCA, the Lutheran Church of Australia, and St. Petri, and the Barossa Lutheran Churches, and all that stuff, and its future, and its differing of opinions, and all of that. And how much less a place now we have in the community than we used to have. The Spirit is working. He never stops, He will achieve His goals as he did for this fledgling church, through means, I must admit, that are quite different than I would choose, like persecution and execution and all that stuff, he's still calling us and gathering us and lighting us up for his ongoing work in this time, in this community, 
by his spirit. So, yes, Lord Jesus Christ, into your hands we commend our spirits today. Amen. And the peace of God, which is beyond our human understanding or our effort, keep you in the Spirit's work this day. In the name of Christ, Amen. The God of peace, who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, provide you with every good thing you need in order to live his way and complete his will. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you today. The Lord look upon you with his favour and give you his peace. Go in peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. Pastor Adrian serves at St. Petri Lutheran Church, New York, Barossa Valley, South Australia. St. Petri.org.au